It's just a really great story. What happens, um, it's in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. I'll get there in a minute, but I'll set the stage for us so that we kind of know what's going on. The book of Acts is our history book of the church. It's where we have the story recorded of the church being birthed, being started in the day of Pentecost, after Jesus goes back up to heaven, and then the, the Spirit comes down on the disciples, and there's some miraculous, awesome things that happen, and thousands of people are baptized and give their life to Jesus, and the church is started, something that God always had planned is birthed right there in Acts chapter 2. Now the story of Acts as it continues on is that we see the gospel message spreading starting in Jerusalem and then there's opposition to Jesus. There's opposition to the church. There's opposition to people who want to be disciples, who make disciples, and that they're, they're caused to spread out for their safety and they're all over the place that the church is persecuted. And then what happens after churches are started in different cities and the apostles and the disciples travel around and start different churches in different cities, it's one church, okay, but different manifestations, different kingdom outposts, as uh, my friend Y. Huxford likes to use. What happens is that they're taught everything that Jesus did and everything that we need to do to fulfill his mission. What happens, see, the book of Acts is the second part of the Gospel of Luke. What happens in the Gospel of Luke is that Luke writes an orderly account to a Christian by the name of Theophilus, and God protected it and inspired it for us. He says, so that you might know what you believe. And the continuation of Luke is the book of Acts. It's Luke part two. And what Acts tells us to do, it's all that Jesus continued to do through the power of the Holy Spirit as the church came and was founded and had life. Now, what happens in the church back in Acts is the same thing that happens in the church today. We get distracted. We know what God has told me that we told us, told me that I'm to do. We know the things that God tells us that we should never do. And we know the things that God tells us, at least as we spend time in his word, we learn these. We know what is most important. Jesus, as he's leaving, he didn't waste his breath. He said, go and make disciples and teach them. We are to make disciples. Now, ultimately, God, through the Holy Spirit, is the one that causes growth to happen, both numerically and depth of our faith. We can't make that. We can't force that. But what we can do is, I think, foster a better environment for it to happen, following after God, following after his commands. Now, what happens, there's a really big event that happens in Acts chapter 15, and then that gets us right to Acts 16. I'm skipping a lot. There's all kinds of stuff that happens in the book of Acts. It's an awesome, awesome, awesome book. Acts 15, what happens is they have this big council at Jerusalem. Because in the Old Testament, the way that people were marked as the children of God was through circumcision. And what happened is that the Israelites knew that they were the chosen people of God, and if you weren't the Israelites, you were out of luck. Now, what happened is God describes in, in the Bible, in the New Testament, very often the church, a synonym used for that is the new Israel, the new chosen people of God, where it didn't matter what family you were born into, it matters if you choose to follow after Jesus and you want to be obedient to him and lay your life at his feet. And then you're included in the church, the new Jerusalem, where it doesn't matter what your family name is, it doesn't matter what you have done, because that can all be covered, that you're a new creation. Now, what happened in Acts 15, there was an issue that they had to address, and the issue had kind of rose up among the people, and they brought it forth to the elders to deal with. It's a biblical principle of leadership and how things are to be handled. Is that there was this issue, the Jewish Christians by nature, the Israelites said, well, you have to be, they said it, you have to be Jewish first before you can be a Christian. So what they're saying is that all men have to be circumcised because that was the sign that was given to God's people. That was the covenant, the sign of Moses. 
had to be circumcised if you could be part of the kingdom of God. And what happens in Acts 15 is they talk about that, and the answer is, no, you don't. That was God's way in the Old Testament. That was his sign, but there was a new sign that it's no longer about our physical bodies and what we do, but it's about following after God and following after Jesus. So you can see how, I mean, it still happens in the church where we still wonder what we should believe and what we should do, and we may have, hey, hey, what's going on? And that's why God gives us this biblical model of leadership and what it's supposed to do and how it's supposed to help and to function, to guide, to pastor the local church. But now Acts 15, the elders settled this dispute. Now it happened just like it happens in your home if you're a parent. You, you decide and you tell the kids how it's going to be and then the problem's solved, right? <laughs> uh, if you figured out how to do that, let's talk. I'll buy you lunch, <laughs> okay? Even though that was right, and that's what God directed and told them, that there were still people saying, well, I, I think you still have to be because we, we've learned for so many generations and so many years that you had to be a part of the chosen people before. But God said no. There's neither barbarian or free, synthican, nothing. But Christ is one and in all. So we're united together as the church. And that's the message that Acts 15 gives us. Acts 16. We're going to read Acts 16 within the context of what we've been talking about as a church this year. Uh, Barring uh, what we talked about last Sunday, we got to participate in Football Sunday with some powerful stories, which is phenomenal. And I look forward to that. And just seeing how Jesus works in the lives of people is great. But the weeks prior to that, we've been talking about membership in the local church. And we've talked about why that matters. And because membership matters, we've talked about a couple different things. And there's a refresher, some reminders. Mainly it's up there in case I forget. We'll see if I don't have to turn around. No promises, okay? Here's generally the things that we've talked about for the last month. Because membership matters in the local church, I want to be a functioning member of the church. I want to find my role to play. I want to find my, the thing that God wants me to do because we're all called to serve and to give and to actively participate in the local church. Every Christian is called to do that, not just teachers or song leaders or musicians or greeters. Everybody is called to serve in different capacities, in different ways. But because membership matters in the local church, I'll be a functioning member of the church. Because I want to be a functioning member in the church, to do that, really, I have to be a unifying member is another one of the things that we talked about. I want to be a unifying member of the church, that I'm going to pray for unity in the church, not dissension, not gossip, but directly dealing with things that need to be dealt with, to be a unifying member of the church. Jesus' prayer in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 17, is phenomenal. He prays for himself, his disciples, and everybody else who will come to believe. He prays for himself the least, his disciples more, and everybody else the most. Because membership matters, and I want to be a functioning member, I want to be a unifying member. And if I'm going to be a unifying member, what I have to do is I have to not make things about my preferences and my desires. Guys, that's hard. Because I like what I like, and sometimes I don't like what you like. But ultimately, there's a lot of those things that's not a salvation issue. So what I have to do is make sure that as a Christian that I spend time before God talking to my father, knowing that, God, your will be done and keep mine really small. God, help us collectively as the church to learn from one another. The Bible tells us that Christians sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. So we do sharpen and we learn from one another. So I don't want to make it just about what I like. Also, what we want to do, I'm going to look. 
Y'all are looking so I can look, right? Yes? No? Who said no? (laughs) Another thing that's really important is to pray for the church and its leaders. I'll pray for the church and its leaders, both the church universal and all over the place, all around the world where people are gathered together on Sunday celebrating Jesus. We pray for the church universal and all the work that's being done through the missions we support and even people that we don't know. But also pray for what we're doing right here in our community, in our backyard, and pray for the leaders of the church. Because Satan wants nothing more than for us to fail. He knows that the church isn't going to fail, but he wants you to fail. And maybe he wants our little outpost of the church to fail, so he's going to try to get us focused on stuff that doesn't ultimately matter. He's going to try to get us focused on things that detract us from the mission that gave us, God gave us to make disciples who make disciples so that people can grow and to mature in their faith. And then what we'll talk about today through the lens of Acts chapter 16 is that I will lead my family to be faithful members of the church, functioning members, good members, whatever you want to use. I will lead my family to be intricate parts of the church. Okay, I know that's hard because all of our families look different. Single, married, kids, no kids, some believers, all believers, no believers. Maybe you don't know what you believe. You just kind of come because you like some of the people here. But we're going to talk about that through the lens of Acts chapter 16. And what I really like about Acts 16 is we're talking about this, about leading our family, leading those that are closest to us to be faithful members of the church, is that we have a couple different pictures of ways that that works and ways that that happens in real life in Acts chapter 16 in the lives of a couple different families. So I was just going to choose one or two of them, but I didn't want to, so we're going to read it all, and we're going to talk about them, okay? So Acts 16, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to follow along, get it out, turn it on, scroll to. My big Bible's up here behind me. Um, I'll, I'll read some, and we'll stop and talk. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, for he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they went on their way and through the cities, and they delivered them to them the observance of the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem, so that the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Verse 6, and they went on throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word into Asia. And when they had come up in Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him to say, come over to Macedonia to help us. And then when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now there's a song that we sing sometimes in the church, send the light, the blessed gospel light, let it shine from shore to shore. That's talking about this from Acts chapter 16. I really like the way that Phil set up one of the songs that we sang without him. I didn't know that story. 
about what happened about that writer of the hymn that is in our book. And it's when we, at least for me, when I add those backstories, that knowledge of how God was working in people's lives, and then I see it just becomes so much more powerful. It's not just words on a page or on a screen or that you're singing because you know them or brand new ones to you. It becomes real. So I love when the songs that we sing reflect the truth of Scripture. Now, another interesting thing, do you remember what I said happened in, in Acts chapter 15? There's this big battle in church. Do people, do people have to be circumcised? And the answer was no. Yet Paul calls Timothy to go with him. And Paul's mother was a believer and his father was not. Paul calls Timothy to go on with him, and what does Timothy have to do? Well, he has him circumcised. Well, hold on, stop. They just said that you don't have to be. It's not a requirement. Why in the world would Paul make Timothy do that? Timothy make him mad? I mean, what happened? I mean, for a grown man, that is a major deal. Some of my friends, their, their son had to have a similar surgery at about one or two years old, and she said that he was just bounced back that next day, run around like nothing ever happened. That does not happen if you're a grown man and you have to have something like that done, okay? I mean, why, why would this have to be done if it wasn't required? What I come up with was that even though it wasn't required, it was going to be very, very helpful. Because people knew, at least, or they were going to find out who Timothy was, and that his father was a Greek, and they're going to say that was going to be, probably become a way that P Timothy wasn't going to be able to reach people for the gospel because they say, oh, wait, you're, no, we're not even going to listen to you. But imagine the testimony of Timothy that he said, I went above what I had to do so that I could come and preach the gospel to you. It's interesting in this family that Timothy's mother was a believer and his father was not. Yet Timothy did great things. Some letters written by Paul to Timothy in Scripture. Maybe you can relate to that. Your mother believed and your father did not, yet you came to faith. All right, let's read some more. Verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and thereon to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath we went outside to the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and we spoke to a woman who had come together. One heard us that this woman, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira and a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to all that was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, her household and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So we have Paul being obedient to the call that he's given to go into Macedonia, to go into this region, and to share the gospel. And they're sharing the gospel with as many people as they can. And one of the people who hears, her name is Lydia. And how is it that she comes to believe? Was it because of Paul? No. God is the one who worked, and it says very clearly in verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention as to what was said by Paul. This is great principle that is true there, that yes, God caused her to believe. He opened her heart so that she would pay attention. So there's God's part. 
And then there's Paul's part. He had to be there. Somebody had to be there to share the word with her. And then there's her part to respond. The same is true in all of our relationships and all of our faith. There's God's part, there's your part, and there's my part. There's God's part, there's your part, and there's the other person's part. God caused this growth. God caused the heart of Lydia to be softened so that she could hear. You know, one of the things that we have mentioned here, it talks about Lydia and her faith, and she opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and afterwards, she responded, and she was baptized, because that's what you do as a response to the gospel. That's the normative thing as far as what happens. That's the step that you take. It's a part of our salvation. And it also says that she was baptized in her household as well. I like these different stories because it talks about, we're talking about today how we lead our family to become faithful members of the church. Now, I realize that can't, not can be, that is a very delicate and touchy subject. Now, any of the things that we're going to strive to do as the church, we're not going to do them perfectly. But I think, ideally, like that's what God wants to happen because it's God's desire so that no one would perish, so that everyone would come to have a faith through Jesus. So we want to lead our families to follow after the best thing that we know. Now, what happens here, we have no mention of Lydia and her husband. If he was a believer, if he existed. But through her faith, her household believed. Now, don't hear this. This was not a mandate. She didn't come home. She said, well, we're all Christians now. Kind of like you go home or you get on a kick, you're like, well, we're not eating gluten anymore. I don't know what it is other than it tastes good, but we're not eating gluten anymore. The whole house is gone. That's not what happened because it says that her whole household believed and was baptized and they were saved. So they had to have an individual saving faith for each one of them. And they were influenced by Lydia. Maybe you can resonate to that story. Having faith to hear and influencing those around you. After that, verse 16, and we were going to the place of prayer. Interesting note here. There's a shift that happens in the book of Acts. Luke, the physician, wrote this. And now some of the shifts that happen is it's talking about Paul's missionary journeys. Some of the things that he went on and that he did is that in some cases it shifts from Luke saying Paul went to saying we went. So what we learn is that in some of the cities, in some of the cases, Luke, who wrote Acts, who wrote the gospel, Luke, was with Paul and Timothy on some of his journeys. And this is one of those places, a pretty cool firsthand account. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, and she brought her owners much gain by fortune teller. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And they had brought them to the magistrates and said, These men are Jews, and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in in attacking them because that's what crowds do. You do what everybody else is doing because in the moment you're not thinking. People are smart. Crowds, not so much sometimes. Okay. The crowd joined in and attacked them, and the magistrates tore off their garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he, the jailer, put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stock. Verse 25, 
Remember what happened. Beaten, clothes torn, beaten with rods. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill, kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. And the reason he did that was as the jailer, if the prisoners escaped, he was dead. So he was just going to beat him to it. Verse 28, but Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we're all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Talking about influence of a genuine faith. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And they took him at that same hour of the night. They washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. He brought them up to his house and set food before them. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And when it was day, the magistrate set the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have said, sent me to let you go. Therefore, come out and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. Now they want to send us out secretly? No. Let they come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison, and they went and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Three different families, three different stories, one chapter of the Bible. From Acts 16, where Timothy has influence. From Lydia, where her faith was infectious to her family. And that they were taught and believed because of her witness to them. To this Philippian jailer, who we don't have his name. And he was moments away from taking his own life. It changed. God had Paul and Silas there to cry out to him. We're all here. We're all here. Imagine the witness of Paul and Silas in jail because of their faith, being beaten, not giving fair due process. We'd use that in our, we'd say, I'm a citizen. You can't do that to me. Well, they did. And about midnight, they were singing praising God, the witness that they had. I wonder how many more people in that prison came to know Jesus that night because of Paul and Silas. No way in the world I believe that the jailer's the only one. I'm speculating there, but just imagine the influence there. Then he went home, and because of his faith, and because it was genuine, and the faith that he had, he shared it with his family, and his whole family believed. Now, maybe for you, maybe that's your deepest prayer. You say, man, I, I wish. Joel, you don't know how many times I've prayed that my whole family would believe. 
they don't. What am I doing wrong? The answer to that might be nothing. I don't know. Sometimes in life there aren't direct answers when I want them. But God has given us what we need to know and he has given us enough. God has called for me as a Christian. He's called for us as the church to be faithful and to trust him with the outcome. God has called us to fall before him and to pray and to be obedient and to carry out his commands and he'll produce the fruit that is in keeping with repentance and righteousness. There'll be that evidence of my Christian faith in my life when I'm following after God and he will cause it to grow. He will cause it to be produced. The influence that you are to have on your household is enormous, whether you're a father or mother or uncle or kid or cousin or friend. The influence that you can have is great. Don't downplay the importance of you and the role that you are to serve in the kingdom of God. Everybody can't do everything. That wouldn't be good. That's also not appropriate. Some things are dedicated for certain people to do in the church. But maybe not as many as we think. See how you can influence your family so that maybe one day your story is their story. That my entire family household came to believe because of my desire to follow after Jesus, to make disciples who make disciples, to be a person who loves God and others, bears fruit and equips others for service, trusting God all the way with the outcome. Let's talk to God together. Let's pray. God, I pray that we are less distracted. Father, I ask that we follow after you, that you help us and encourage us along the way. God, put the people that we need in our lives to minister to us, to sharpen us in our faith. God, may we influence our families, our households for Jesus. May my family know Jesus better and be a better picture of Jesus because I am a Christian and I'm a part of my family. God, may the same be true for every person in this place today. May we cause our family to go closer to Jesus because of our faith. God, and I know that life is messy and we don't know how people are going to respond, but God, I pray that you give us the courage and this steadfastness to be faithful. God, we love you. We're so blessed to have the freedom to come together to worship you. May we never take that for granted. God, may we live our life on purpose, chasing after your mission. God, that all will come to repent and to have their sin covered by the blood of Jesus. God, may that be our sole focus and mission in this world. In Jesus' name. Amen.